0: She's a ho, we
1: some hoes. you like to be a too? Hey everybody, welcome to this mini episode of Ho in the Know Historical Hoes Edition, misclassified Hoes Edition I am joined today uh, by Teddy Howdy, Teddy Hello Hi <laughs> Greetings from uh, California and you're in Texas, right? I am for right now in the Lone Star State for now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, so let's just dive into this. You are my resident historian. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> and to explain this section to everybody who is still um, figuring out what we're doing. Um, throughout history a lot of people have been misclassified as sex workers when they were in not in fact not that they were sex slaves they were forced into prostitution or their history was written in such a way that they were called one thing and their experience was determined to be something by their colonizers their abusers and stuff like that and this is another case of uh, misrepresentative history (laughs) Mm-hmm. And so we are going to start with our favorite American woman, Sally Hemmings. <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh, Sally Hemmings! You know what? You're gonna know exactly who I'm talking about as soon as I begin this story. If you are not familiar with this week's historical hoe, we all know who she is or who she was, um, and for really fucked up reasons. So let's begin. The resources that I use for research are uh, monticello.org or monticello.org. I don't know how they do it. It's American pronunciation of a front or of a, an Italian word. Uh, Wikipedia, Sally Hemings. there's a YouTube um, thing about this. I'm going to link it in the, in the bio and, or in the description and uh, pbs.org frontline show with Jefferson Slaves. So Today we're going to talk about Sally Hemings. Uh, please know that the information discussed today is in no way comprehensive, and that as with every historic person we discuss, you're encouraged to research them on your own and think critically about who it is that wrote the account of their life. And that is particularly important in this case. So, even though Sally Hemings was enslaved since birth and legally the property of Thomas Jefferson. She has historically been known as his concubine, being called such by even her own son, which is really so sad in a way, um, you know, but that's how this goes. So part of the problem is that even though there's a long oral history of Sally Hemings relationship with Thomas Jefferson, she left no written accounts of her own feelings about her life oral history, especially the oral histories of enslaved people, are often viewed as less valid or reliable than written accounts. Um, History is racist. (laughs) Or is anybody surprised? (laughs) Not one bit. Nope. So, um, So it's important when discussing Sally's life to discuss her parents and grandparents. Because this is a history, a cycle of abuse, of enslavement and uh, you, you got to start there so in colonial America it was customary to give a visiting friend an enslaved person as a bed partner and bed partner is the light term for your sex slave whenever you come to visit <laughs> so um, I, I think that her name is um, her grandmother's name um, Baya baIA B-A-I-A B-A-Y-A um, was given to John Hemings as a bed partner. This rape bore Elizabeth Betty Hemings, her mother. So this is a double rape situation already. I should have content warned this, you guys. Um, there's, i will put it in. <laughs> so she was born to a slave mother, Elizabeth Hemings, who was also enslaved. Um, She was kept on the Virginia Plantation. So Sally was kept on the Virginia Plantation of John Wales. So John Wales was married several times, and his first wife bore him his daughter, Martha. So each of uh, Wales' wives died. So he took Elizabeth, which is um, Betty Hemmings, Sally's mom, uh, as a concubine, Or sex slave. Let's just call it that. It's a sex slave. She was forced into this position because of slavery. So Sally's family's history is such that both her grandmother um, Bahia Beya and her mother Elizabeth Hemming were raped by white men. And I mean, just like thinking about that for a moment, like how normalized that must have become, like If you are, like, the third generation of this happening, like, you're the product of this, like, it must just be, like, oh, of course, like, there must even be, like, some bit of, like, protectionist, like, you know, like, the talk that black people get, like, you know, so this is what's going to happen in your life, because you're here. (sighs) So, that's where we begin with, um, so, yeah. So Elizabeth bore John Whale's six children, one of whom was Sally. And so that's six enslaved children. Since Sally's father and three of her grandparents were white, she was fairly light-skinned and was uh, given, alongside her siblings, a place of privilege in the home. Of course, this is degrees of privilege, and she is still a slave, so let's not forget that, but definitely some degree of privilege compared to, um, you know those who were forced to work the land so a year after Sally was born Martha married Thomas Jefferson it was right when Sally was born that John Wales died and the Martha then inherited Sally her mother and her siblings since enslaved folk were considered to be property and therefore part of an estate so they were sent to live with her at Jefferson's Monticello estate So light-skinned enslaved folks like the Hemings family worked in a semi-privileged space inside the home, caring for the family as opposed to tending fields. By the age of six, Sally was already likely caring for Martha and Thomas's children, Patsy and Polly, alongside her mother and siblings. So six years old, she's already working. So this is child slave labor. And we go on from here. So Martha died from childbirth when Sally was nine. And there is an oral history that Thomas promised uh, Martha on her deathbed that he would not remarry. So after this, Jefferson uh, left to Paris, taking his daughter Patsy and Sally's brother James with him. So while in Paris, Jefferson's baby died. So he asked for his daughter Polly to be sent to him. So she was sent with Sally, who was then 14, 14 years old, let's remember this number, 14 years old, to be her caretaker. So they went to, uh, from Virginia to London where they were met by John and Abigail Adams, some more founding fathers to this beautiful story. <laughs> and at that point, Sally was supposed to be sent back to Virginia. However, with Jefferson's approval, she was given permission to accompany Polly to Paris. In Paris, slavery was illegal, but the extent of the freedom Sally or her brother had is unknown. So Sarah Bartman, who we discussed in the last minisode, was in France around the same time as Sally. And as seen in both cases, although slavery was technically illegal, their actual freedom was extremely limited. In Paris, Sally began learning how to embroider and launder fine linens, and both her and her brothers were being paid for their services as well. So they actually got paid for their labor because, well, you know. Anyway, so she prepared um, Patsy for social functions and most likely (laughs) attended some of them as well. It is likely that after Jefferson sent Patsy and Polly away to a convent, um, he began raping Sally. So let's just be clear about this age timeline. I don't actually know how old Jefferson is and I should definitely look at that really quickly. If you (laughs) want to, we can do a little search for that. But um, Sally is 14 whenever his, whenever their rape relationship began. Okay, so she is a 14-year-old slave child who has been literally taking care of this man's children since she was a child herself, six years old, and then she leaves the country and leaves all of the protections of her family and kin being around her and is forced into the sexual relationship with her master. So... Sally, Thomas, Patsy, and Polly lived in Paris until the French Revolution in 1789, and Jefferson chose to leave and take his family with him when Patsy said she wanted to convert to, to Catholicism. I don't know why that tickles me, but, it, it, like, the Catholicism was the, the final straw. The French Revolution wasn't necessarily it. <laughs> like, yes. Catholicism, are you kidding me? As uh, Jefferson prepared to return to Virginia, Sally, who was pregnant at the time, 14 and pregnant, um, and her brother refused to come with him. Um, But they negotiated, so her brother eventually agreed, so long as he was freed, after training a replacement chef in the techniques he learned in Paris. And Sally also agreed agreed to return, but only after negotiating, quote, extraordinary privileges. (laughs) for herself, as well as for her future children. Um, I mean, it's really incredible that she was able to like negotiate that at that time, considering her status and being completely like financially and otherwise dependent on uh, Jefferson and also having grown up in a family of slaves, <laughs> you know, like generations and generations of slaves, like that she had that foresight to do that. Anyway, so um, why exactly Sally went back to Virginia is unknown, although coercion and the knowledge that Jefferson owned her remaining siblings is probably why. In uh, Monticello, Sally performed the duties of an enslaved household servant and ladies' maid, in addition to having sex with Jefferson while he was at the estate. In Jefferson's absence, Patsy ruled over Monticello. As such, Sally was forced to obey Patsy's commands, even though she was Patsy's aunt. For Jefferson, his relationship with Sally was ideal. She famously looked and acted like a young version of his dead wife, and since he owned her, she was forced to obey him, and he had no obligation toward her. Sounds like the perfect relationship. However, when he upset a political hopeful, a story was released about his relationship with Sally, in the article, she was called Dusky Sally. After it was published, there were a series of uh, corrections and follow-up articles. So since only after it was released did the person who wrote it find that Sally was white passing, it was one of these articles that Sally was referred to as Jefferson's concubine. Although though the story was meant to slander Jefferson, it had no long-lasting effect on his pregnancy. Or not pregnancy, on his presidency. <laughs> <laughs> money slip okay (laughs) Uh, okay in her time in monticello sally gave birth to six children (laughs) the first two died at young ages her eldest son beverly also called tom was said to bear a striking resemblance to jefferson Once Jefferson retired to Monticello, he purportedly acted as a doting father and grandfather to all except Sally's children. He never recognized his paternity to Sally's children. When Sally's children, Beverly and Harriet, turned 21, rather than officially free them as promised, Jefferson marked them as runaway slaves. However, although Jefferson was known to send cops after runaways, he did not send them after Sally's children. Likely in his mind, this was the same or equitable to formally freeing them. I guess without the, the shame of freeing slaves. A lot of question marks there. Anyway, both of them were white passing and they chose to live in white society after being informally freed. Um, it is important in this narrative not to give credit to Jefferson for freeing them, but rather to Sally for negotiating that shit at 14 years old, you guys. 14, 15 years old. So, Thomas Jefferson died in 1826, and in his will, he only freed five of the 130 enslaved people he owned as property, his human property. All five of those freed were part of the Hemings family. Three were older men, and the remaining two were Sally's uh, surviving children. So at that time, if a formerly enslaved person stayed in Virginia past a year, they could be enslaved again. So in his will, Jefferson pushed to have them allowed to live in Virginia as freed men. Sally was not freed in Jefferson's will. Instead, he asked his daughter to free Sally after his death. His, His daughter, quote, gave Sally her time, which was letting an enslaved person go and not have them chased down. Which we all know how dangerous that is. Like, how fucking terrifying. Yeah, let me just run through the south and try and escape north and not get caught up. What the fuck? So anyway, she spent the remaining nine years of her life living with her sons in Charlottesville, Virginia, as someone who did not have complete freedom. She died at the age of 62 with no record of where she was buried. And after her death, her sons moved to Ohio, choosing to live as black men. Though uh, later, Eston moved his family to Wisconsin and into white society. And that is the harrowing story of, um, you know what? I want to I wanna say like the found, one of the founding mothers of America, Sally Hemings. Or maybe we want to change it. I, I don't know. But it's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> the story has so many what the fucks to it. Teddy, are you ready?
0: I'm ready. Awesome. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to go into here and a lot to comment on. So I'm going to start with, um, for example, one of the things that was prevalent in uh, American in slavery society was the practice of white men sleeping with enslaved women um so much so that that is the basis for the law of matrilineal descent which is the law that kept sally Hemings enslaved even though technically she was still white passing and her father was white and her mother's father was white that's the main basis behind the law of matrilineal descent because the argument became well if we're saying this person's a slave because they're black but if their dad's white we've like backed ourselves into a corner here. What are we gonna do? Mm -hmm. So then became the one drop rule and the law of matrilineal descent, both to really um, legalize and enforce blackness. And also the law (laughs) of matrilineal descent is one of the things that made like chattel slavery so different because no other form of manumission before then was inherited from your parents. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um yeah i mean it's like so, it's crazy that it was like they had to they had to like exclude you know all of the fathers because of course all these white men are raping all of the black women so of course that happens they're like well, well let's figure out a way
0: <laughs> that's why slavery descended from the mother um so and another thing behind that is i mean one of the reasons that was so prevalent is a really dangerous combination of racism and misogyny in the concept that um well you know they're men and they can do what they want and they have these uncontrolled sexualities Mm -hmm. and they have to give in to these uncontrolled sexualities and then this same relationship was also leveraged against um white women and their white wives by saying like well would you want him to do that to you which was literally the basis for it and they were like well no Mm -hmm. so then the acceptable (laughs) the acceptable giveaway was well then he should be allowed to act out these uh carnal fantasies on um, the enslaved women, enslaved people, actually. I, mean, <laughs> I think it's, we always say enslaved That's women, true, but.
1: that's true. I mean, it is people, not just enslaved women, to be <laughs> real.
0: And then this also served twofold, because it wasn't uh, just the way to, like, blow off steam. Sexual violence is also a very, very acute form of violence. It's a really, really acute way of traumatizing, and therefore reinforcing the enslavement of another generation of people through sexual violence. Uh, Because violence was always a tool in slavery. I think one of the mistakes when we talk about slavery is we talk about the violence of slavery like it was wanton and uh, I'm not going to say it wasn't evil, but like it was just, it just came from bad people and had no purpose. Violence was very much a tool of slavery and was used in a calculating way to enforce kind of the mechanism of slavery through sexual and physical violence. So yeah
1: yeah I mean it's just like I mean also just the level of like you know writing into the constitution and everything that you know black people are not human and then to like have all of these men just like having sex with not humans you know people they don't consider I mean that's super weird like I just as a concept you know like I mean when did they how did I I mean I guess it was just so normalized but it just mm-hmm. is like it just seems like this blatant like yes they're human but we're not going to say that they're human cuz like I just I don't even know. Like yeah. I'm, I'm not even explaining it well but it's just like that they like what were the logistical gymnastics that they had to like go through to A lot to like go there you know like they're not human but i'm gonna have sex with them so i'm gonna have sex with something that is not human that is what it yeah anyway
0: i mean something that jefferson faced criticism for um because i mean as we're all taught in history class a lot of the inspiration behind the declaration of independence and so on was the french revolution true but um something that jefferson caught criticism from from the french and also from black people alive in the u.s was specifically like that all men are created equal line he caught a lot well, when we talk about the hypocrisy of it now and we go how did no one see it people saw it there was a ton of criticism mm-hmm. in the day where french people went y'all we have slaves yeah. and black people went all men are created equal but what about us and they had to go well what do you mean you yeah
1: except They're for like, you <laughs> We are uh, the equal ones. Yeah. <laughs> and just so men yeah. the ones. Just the men mm-hmm. ones.
0: <laughs> and Jefferson especially had a lot of writing. Did a lot of writing on like what he thought of the like inherent savagery of both like black people and native people.
1: I mean it's it's like utterly confusing because I mean he had like such a long term sexually abusive relationship with Sally Hemings. I mean, six pregnancies. Mm -hmm. Like is in an incredible amount of pregnancies for one of course that's just like the time period where it is like that but just like I mean there had to I mean I guess a lot of it is speculative but you know and there was nothing romantic about like writing in like some degree of freedom I mean, Mm -hmm. of course, what we just read is like that there was not actually freedom written. It was just like, "I will turn a blind eye, and hope Mm -hmm. for the best for you." But there is a solid chance you might get caught and die. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. And he was like, "In that case, (laughs) case, well, you know, you're not
1: really my kids, and I'm not raising you as my kids." Mm -hmm. I mean, just like the trauma of that to be like this unrecognized group like, completely unrecognized by your, clearly your father, like, spitting image, I mean, Beverly being, like, the spitting image of Jefferson, like, God, like, how could you, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just, yeah.
0: Yeah, but, you know, slaves to Jefferson were a disposable commodity, and the benefit to these men of sleeping with enslaved women is kind of, um, any benefit you can see today in any relationship with a really, really large power imbalance, you know, it's having like complete control over another person and then being able to mold them into your ideal partner because there's no alternative for them to have any agency in that relationship. So I think, especially when people speak of Sally Hemings, as this concubine one, and this is, uh, Ooh, this is a quote from one of my favorite African American history professors, but she hammered this in and she was like, there's no such thing as a consensual relationship in slavery. And she's like, I really want you to keep that in mind. It does not exist. It cannot exist. Just by the basis of one person being enslaved, your relationship's immediately non-consensual. Two and we're going to get into what a concubine is mm-hmm. historically through the cultures we've seen, what we consider to be harms and, con- and concubines, Middle East student cultures, Asian cultures, Greco-Roman cultures. Um There is some degree of agency in that relationship. You're typically not like snatched up as a kid yes. and uh kept there forever. And then even as an adult, there is like, there's agency in it. Yeah. There are things you're, there may be things you're not allowed to do, but there are things you're allowed to do. There's like a status you're given. There's, mm-hmm. you know, you're not like born into the position of being a concubine and then have to enforce that through your entire life.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just thinking about some of the concubines that we've covered, like on the show, um, I mean, it's varied across cultures, but I mean, some of them were like literal nobility you know like it was like a way to to move up and have greater status for the family and it was an, an honorable position like this mm-hmm. is not concubinage this is at all like none of it sounds like concubinage
0: if you're a concubine and half the time and you had a child and you had a child by a noble dude that was a threat historically yes exactly here, exactly child would have a claim to whatever was going on whether they were a bastard child or not Mm-hmm. So I think that's another, if Jefferson can go, what are my kids? <laughs> They're, like, clearly his children. I think that's another big sign that this was in that kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. No one wants to think badly of Thomas Jefferson, even though he was a bad dude.
1: Yeah, he was a bad dude. The fucking Adams were fucking bad people. Fucking Washington was a really fucked up person. Like... There's, I don't know. There's just all of this, like, we want to believe that the Founding Fathers were good people and really none of them were.
0: No. <laughs> it's this concept of wanting to, like, valorize the founding of the United States and be like, these guys escaped persecution and came here and fought so we could be free. No, these guys escaped taxes and yeah. then came here and got mad that they had to pay taxes.
1: <laughs> yeah, so they revolted. And they Because they were like, don't touch my money.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and then they enslaved a bunch of black people and killed a bunch of native people so they didn't have to make taxes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the the endless search for, like, a a tax haven (laughs) (laughs) is the story of the founding of the United States.
0: (laughs) It's the the Panama Papers. Yeah, it's the Panama
1: Papers, exactly. Yeah, fucking Emma Watson was in the Panama Papers. I just want everybody to know that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> uh, shit it's Clover's, it's Clover's Corner. Corner hey our signs Gemini, Libra, and Aquarius this is your next four weeks in love done by yours truly, Clairvoyant Clover. I'm back once again. This time I'm super exhausted. It's been 20 hours of moving and I only just finally sat down. I feel completely drained, but I'm going to go for it. Here we start with the Empress and the Four of Pentacles. The the energy of you all are really kind of zoned into your own work and your own practices like being kind of in your power i'm especially getting like creativity here your projects are kind of at the forefront of your um focus but essentially it's just sort of like you you aren't really having any sort of like romantic or like giving energy even it's kind of like there's this introversion that i'm getting there is sort of the energy of a love interest their card doesn't even really directly come out and i know like having read for air signs before whenever it's like with a romantic interest i don't really get the typical cards for it you all are very funny and i like love you um (laughs) But it's 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 still really cerebral. I have swords. I really have swords. So it just seems as though like this person that you may be involved with doesn't really like capture your interest or maybe for the next month, they will not really be the most interesting thing in your life to where you kind of feel that you don't have time for them and that they're requiring like too much of you. If you're in a relationship, it's just kind of like um, taking away from time that you see as valuable um, that could be devoted to something else. Um, So you may be dealing with another air sign. Is a possibility because of how many swords I am getting in this reading swords once again are air in the tarot next i have the five of cups and the three of pentacles uh this is interesting this sort of feeling of taking care of someone else and like their feelings is just sort of like blocking your creativity and Um, the card immediately following this is the Ten of Swords, and I was kind of like, well, there's not really any inherent ending. Typically, I would look for, like, the tower or maybe death, though I don't think of death too much as an ending, and also uh, the Three of Swords. So, um, but I don't really have that. The Ten of Swords is kind of like um, ultimate despair, just being really, like, in it, but clarifying cards that i got were just sort of that nine of pentacles which is really the single hot girl like card and then the ten of wands and like depicted on this is like this really i think that she's like really such a baddie um in this deck i mean not that (laughs) um like my deck is kind of it's the secret tarot you all can look it up by marco nazzoli so i don't know but she just like she's got it all together and it's through a lot of work the ten of wands symbolizes just being um or like having carried like a lot of burdens usually it's like someone having like 10 sticks on their back that they're carrying but in this it's just like there are all of these wands on her wall and she's like standing in like a cute dress she has a skull in her hand very baddie so but it, it still is like this energy of like she worked for it she got there it's like being with this person is making you feel as though you're having to put in a lot of work to kind of like be the both the person that you're trying to be and then also um their partner it's it it really just is like that you feel as though this person is in the way and following this there's the high priestess and the three of cups the energy here is definitely of just feeling kind of distant from social interactions maybe even generally so it's like not even specifically this person possibly but just like putting effort into socializing right now is not really like where your head or your heart is and it also could be That there is a level of just like difficult energy. Oh, bottom of the deck really was telling. I have the star, the devil, the hermit, and the eight of cups. So it's just like feeling distant and kind of wanting to like go on your own journey and like deepen your relationship with yourself. Maybe like come to some conclusions about like where you're going with life. Do a lot of introspection. The hermit. And the Eight of Cups are just, like, very introverted and pensive. Yeah, so it's, it's like, going on with a new cycle of life, like, death, rebirth, the next steps, trying to get out of this sort of um, situation that's just not really bringing you that much. And I have the Eight of Pentacles and the Eight of Swords, and it's, like, being trapped in this headspace of, like, work and maybe working on your own goals, like, you aren't really trying to break out of it either, though, because the Eight of Swords is symbolic of your own traps that you're setting for yourself. It's, like, you could, like, leave this sort of, uh, sword jail that you've built around yourself if you wanted, like, you could just, like, take the swords out of the ground, but... Um, you're just kind of like, no, I'm going to sit with it and I'm going to keep working. Um, this is what I'm doing with my life right now. And it's really important. And that's like valid. Go you honestly, like, you know, like throw this, throw this relationship away. If you're in a relationship, like do something else or take a break or just be like, I cannot focus on you for the life of me. And I know a lot of you are really direct like that. Um, which is really cool then there's the ace of cups so that would be kind of like this sweet loving card but following it is the four of cups so i'm kind of getting like there's this overwhelming feeling of like ennui also that could be coming through and it could be just like because of the frustration i honestly feel frustrated reading these cards and i feel like i'm just picking up on like some sort of energy here uh, this situation's just like frustrating and kind of like getting in the way of something that you're trying to accomplish so really it seems as though for the next month romance isn't really like of importance to you or if it is it's just really like bothering you how it's so hard to balance both your love life and also your like goals and especially Creative goals. And you're just feeling like discontent and oversaturated. Four of Cups being like the last card. Oh, aside from air signs, I am getting fire signs coming through. So maybe I'm talking to people dealing with fire signs. Top of the deck was the Six of Pentacles. And I'm reading that as there being an imbalance where maybe even this person is offering a lot more than you are like there's unequal give and take so that's another thing and i see that kind of just like weighing on you but uh that's what i have and i hope you all have like a beautiful time working on your projects and that um if this relationship with this person continues that you can manage both that and your goals um and that they're able to understand that you need kind of like some time to accomplish some things that are really important to you. But much love. This is little underscore four leaf. The four is a numeral and hit me up with anything you feel like. I love you all and bye.
1: Well, thank you so much for <laughs> for helping and being my resident historian um, and for joining me on this journey to really contextualize Sally Hemings life. And um, you know, she is not a hoe or maybe she is, how would I, I don't even know how to, like she was not a consensual participant in this in the slightest. She was forced into this situation, but she is historical and we do need to know about her and it is important to the history of sex work that we do not misclassify people and throw everybody in. And anyway, yeah, thank you all for joining and listening to this episode of How <laughs> oh in the Know. Uh, teddy, where
0: can we find you? You can find me at teddy b. Ruxpin, R u x p i n, on Instagram. Awesome. You can
1: follow me uh, on Instagram at Pretty Boy Girl. You can support my Patreon at The Real Pretty Boy Girl. You can follow Ho in the Know at Ho in the Know. And uh, <laughs> if you have any questions about how to spell that, I'm amazed that you're able to listen to this right now. <laughs> okay, well, have a fantastic week, guys. Bye bye. Bye. More money. I want your money. I want more money.